Um, I want to underscore, I think that there's, I was a math major in, uh, at UCLA, and so uh, the, let's see, how do we do this inverse proportion? Um, the amount of time it takes you to find a parking place when you get here in the morning is inversely proportional to the number of minutes prior to 9.30 that you actually pull into the vicinity. So I'll just throw that out for you. For you non-math majors, don't worry about it. We're going to get to the Word of God here this morning. Um, but I just wanted to throw that out. I was, yeah, I was, I parked at Horton Plaza. Three hours of free parking there, by the way, if you don't know that. You can just drive in, you get a card, and if you validate it, they've got a machine that validates it for you for free, so you don't have to pay anything for three hours. So that's always an option, if you didn't know that. Um, we're looking at, uh, at the Word of God this morning. Um, we're going to be looking at the very beginning, Genesis 1 and a little bit of Genesis 2. Um, the scripture is printed in your bulletin if you don't have your Bibles. And so give ear. This is God's word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. And it was so. God called the expanse sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars to govern the day and the night. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over livestock, over all the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. 
Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is God's word. We're continuing in this study on faith and work. And as I thought through, well, what's the best way to recognize the idea of imaging God that we're going to talk about for the next three weeks? I thought, well, let's look at God's own work, right? And this Genesis 1 is one of the best places where we see God actually at work. And so we're going to be looking at this text. But before we do that, I want to ask you a question. Of the following people, I'm going to give you three people, whose work is most significant? Okay? Mother Teresa, Bill Gates, or Norman Borlaug? Okay, think about that. Whose work is most significant? Whose work is least significant? For most people, this is really easy, right? Most people say, well, of course, it's Mother Teresa, famous for ministering to the poor in Calcutta, India, made a saint by the Vatican, awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Bill Gates is infamous for giving us the dancing paperclip and the blue screen of death. Right? And as for Norman Borlaug, who the heck is Norman Borlaug? Right? If we step back, though, and actually look at the work, right? Because the question is, whose work was the most, is the most significant? If we look at the work that they've done, Bill Gates has employed hundreds of thousands of people. That's interesting. Bill Gates has created software that has literally improved the, the economic development of countries, not just cities or towns. That's interesting, isn't it? When you think about it that way, Norman Borlaug, um, he's the father of what's called the Green Revolution. He used agricultural science to reduce world hunger and has been credited with saving a billion lives more than anyone else in history. And so I ask, whose work is the most significant? T.J. Rogers is the CEO of Cypress Semiconductor, and he got animated in an interview discussing the morality of work, and here's what he said. He said, I keep hearing, feed the poor, clothe the hungry, give shelter to those who don't have it. The bozos who say this don't recognize that our work and technology have done more to feed and clothe and shelter and heal people than all the charity and church programs in history. So they preach about it, but we're the ones actually doing it. I think what these illustrations show is that there is a huge gap that lies between our faith and our work. Right? And that's the whole point of this, of this sermon series. It's the whole reason we're preaching on work and faith this month. At the outset of the series, two weeks ago, I outlined sort of the five levels of integrating your faith and your work. Right? If you remember, I mean, you can, get, you can, you can download it or read it online. Um, the stuff's all on our website. But the first level was a level of provider, that work provides for our needs. Okay? The second level is excellence. We do our work with excellence because our, our work is a reflection on God. Okay? Level three is the level of relationships. Kent just talked about that in amazing ways. Bill preached on that last week. Work is a chance to love and to serve and to share with others. 
The problem with these first three levels is that they don't do anything to help us understand the significance of the work. Work is so often used as just, it's a means to another end. And I loved what Bill did last week, talking about how the thing that we do, the only thing that we do more than work is, is sleep. Actually, no, work is even more than sleep, right? Well, we, we, we work more than anything else. And so, like, do you really think God doesn't care about your work? Do you really think that the work doesn't matter? Absolutely not. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the fourth level of integrating faith and work. And this is the level where you see that your work actually makes you an image of God. Okay, and so I want to promote all of you over the next three weeks to this fourth level. I want all of you to see your work as a reflection of God, as an image of God, either as creator, maintainer, or restorer. And so over the next three weeks, I want you to see that work is both godly and godlike. Okay, and so this week we're going to look at how work images God as creator. Okay, and so we're going to see this in three points. Okay, these are the three points there for your outline. Um, First, we're going to see that our work can image God as creator. Second, that creation can transform our work. And third... Jesus' victory creates heaven on earth. So first, our work can image God as creator. And this is where, uh, you know, where I basically, I struggle. I've got a list, just looking through this Genesis passage that we read, I've got a list of 23 things that characterize God's work. 23 ways you could describe God's work here in this passage in Genesis 1 and the beginning of Genesis 2. I can't go through all of that. Right, we'd be here for two and a half, three hours. So I'm going to give you a sampling of these things. Just want to point out a few. And before I do that, though, let me just say, I said this the first week. If you're unemployed, if you're retired, if you're an unpaid volunteer, if you work in an office or in the home, please don't tune out. Okay, if you don't feel like you do the kind of work that, I mean, that you're imagining right now, I'm going to be talking about. I want you to recognize that that work is any effort to shape and influence the world around you, including people, okay? And that's all of us. All of us are engaged in work, whether you have a job or not, whether you work in an office or in the home, whether you have a home or are homeless, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, you do work. So don't tune out. Your work can image God as creator. So I think one of the things that we see in this text in terms of describing God's work, is that God's work creates order from chaos. Okay, God's work creates order from chaos. We see this in verse 2, right? It says that the earth was formless and void and darkness covered the deep. And so from chaos and darkness, God brings order and beauty. Okay, that's what God does. This whole creation week is describing the process of God going from formless and void to ordered and beauty. Now, there's all kinds of work that image this, right? Inventors reflect God. God creates these new things, right? He takes order and brings into chaos. Artists um, follow this pattern. New ideas in any workplace. If you have a new idea, if you come up with something that's a new way of doing something at work, a new way of, of, of 
accounting, a new way of dealing with people, a new way of training, a new anything, a new idea reflects God's image, bringing more order out of chaos. I looked up this week the U.S. Patent Office. The U.S. Patent Office has issued over 7 million patents since it's been, you know, doing its thing. What that means is that over 7 million times, a governmental organization has said, you know what, this idea is so new that we don't want, we want to protect you and not let anybody copy it. I think every single one of those 7 million patents are an example of someone imitating God's creative work. We have this box of Legos at home. Okay, it's, it's a big box. It's probably about, I don't know, four and a half feet long. It's, it's about a foot and a half wide and it's maybe like six inches deep it's it's full of legos and there are times where we get frustrated because we can't find stuff so we just dump the whole box out and we have this eight by ten foot rug in the middle of our living room and literally the legos cover the whole rug we kind of spread them out because the the thinner the legos go the more pieces you can see and and all this stuff and it's funny because it's formless and void and there we are the kids and i we're hovering over the surface of the legos <laughs> pick one here we do something here and we make amazing things there's amazing things that come out of the the of the the, of the void the confusion all the the mess and the jumble and so again like sometimes it's not even our work but it's our our recreation that images god in this creative way so i think jewelers image god this way right think about what jewelers do um, research and development companies right they they take the the formlessness and the void of data or, or they study things and they produce order. They produce patterns. The research and development pieces of other companies reflect God's image in this way. Artists, we mentioned, manufacturers, design engineers, Microsoft, Qualcomm, right? These are all companies that reflect God in the sense that he is a creator. Um, and then there's a whole other way that, 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 that creation happens, um, there's a there's a gentleman uh, by the name of Ryan up at Uptown. He works uh, he works for SeaWorld, and they have a motto at SeaWorld. It's one day, one chance. Okay, that's the the, the mantra that they re- rehearse themselves. One day, one chance. And what they what, what that means for them is that they realize that as they're looking around at people as they're interacting with the the guests that come into the park every day, they realize that most of the people that come will be there for one day. And so that means they have one chance to create a magical experience for them. You know, and so as frustrating as consumers can be, as demanding as, you know, you know as all that, that people can be when, they, when they're on vacation or when they're visiting a park, that mantra, one day, one chance, inspires them to create an experience for the guests, right? And now I know a lot of you do that same kind of thing. You try to create an experience, in your workplace. And so again, when you do that, you are reflecting God as creator. He brings order from chaos. I think we also see in our text that God provides training and education in creation. Okay, training and education. Verses 26 to 28, God made man in his image and likeness and let him rule over creation and all the other creatures. It's interesting because God gives authority to men and women. He gives authority, but he doesn't just give it to us. He also tells us how to use it. 
He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over. He trains in creation his creatures to rule and reign. And it's interesting because what he's doing is he's actually delegating his, some of his authority. He's saying, I'm creating you in my image and likeness. Human beings are unique out of all the things God created. We can, it's because of who we are and what we do that we reflect God in a way that no other part of creation does. And God says, I want you to reflect me in how I rule and govern. I want you to rule and govern and reflect me in that. And so God trains us. He gives us the honor, the, the responsibility, the privilege of reflecting him in the way that he governs the world. This gives us dignity and respect. It gives us worth. And so in work, when we treat other people that same way, when we give other people responsibility, when we um, delegate even and raise up and train new people to understand the responsibility that they have, we are imaging God. We're imitating God when we treat people with respect and honor. And I think in the middle of this, education is a reflection of this creative purpose of God. If you're involved in the educational industry, teachers, schools, but then corporate trainers, consultants, people that come alongside and teach people how to do their jobs more effectively. If there's somebody new on the job and you, in a sense, put your arm around them and begin to show them the ropes, teach them about the environment that you're working in, make the environment more welcome so that they can understand how to do their job better, you are reflecting the image of God who educates and teaches and trains us. And so, again, these are ways that we image God as creator. I think uh, we can go further and see that God's work includes evaluation. It's interesting. Time and time and time and time and time again, God says he saw what he made and he said it was good. He saw what he made. He said it was good. And then at the end, at the end of the creation process, he saw all that he made in verse 31. And he says it's very good. And so in the work world, performance reviews, year-end evaluations, peer reviews, even compensation, in a sense, is a reflection of, it's evaluating and placing value on work that's done. That images God who is judging the work. And so if you do any of these things, you are reflecting the creative work of God who judges what he creates. I think if you look at uh, chapter 2, verse 2, we see that that God in his work paces himself. He paces himself. This This one is big. God doesn't do everything in one day. Think about that for a second. God had this plan to create the heavens and the earth, and he didn't do it all at once. He could have, but he didn't. Isn't that interesting? He works for six days, and it seems like in the six days, he even takes the evenings off. <laughs> he does work, and then the evening, and then the morning, you know? The evening comes, and, um, and that doesn't mean that you can't work the late shift. Um, but it does mean that God isn't a workaholic. Okay? Um, I think when you combine this with the fact that with the seventh day, God rested what God is doing is he's building a pattern for us on how to work. He's building a pattern for us to follow that has rest both daily and weekly. Daily and weekly rest. And so we image God when we rest from our work, when we stop working. 
we image, we, we image God. We go to sleep at night. We image what God did in the sense that he ceased from his creative work. Work without rest doesn't image God. I think the last thing that we can see, I mean, again, there's a thousand things, but that God, one of the things that hit me was that God is amazingly repetitive. Okay, if you think about what God made, he is unbelievably repetitive. And I, there's, this, there's this quote that I read, I don't know, four years ago that I can't find. I've tried to find. I can't find. I don't know who, who said it or where it was. But this author said something like, you know, maybe God made all of the flowers in the world with one word. Maybe. But maybe he made every single flower individually. Maybe he personally attended to every alteration, to every difference in the petal arrangements. And maybe he did it because he just really likes it, because it delights him to make a hundred thousand, a million of the same thing with slight variations. I just thought, wow, maybe that's true. And I thought, you know, sometimes our creative work isn't simply making new things, but sometimes it's making a lot of the same things and appreciating all the things that we make, right? Manufacturing companies, assembly lines. Um, God doesn't seem to mind repetitious work. And when I think about that, it makes me think, wow, like that changes the way I think about repetitious work because it's good enough for him, right? If he's not bored with it, maybe I can think about it a little differently. And so, again, there's a lot more that we can see in this text about the way that God works, but I want to play that out for you so that I can, I can just get your minds in tune to thinking this way. And I want you to ask yourself, what aspects of creation does your job, does your work entail? How is it that you create in your work? Think about that. Write it down. Um, discuss it. I mean, this is one of these things where it takes some effort. Um, and it's true that, that not every job reflects God as creator. So in the next couple of weeks, we're going to do God as maintainer and God as restorer, right? Keeping things going, fixing what's broken. Maybe your jobs more heavily lie in there, but maybe there are aspects of your job that reflect this creative image of God. And then beyond that, what does your company create? What are the ways that your company reflects God as creator? I want you to come out of this whole thing today and see your work and your company's work as a reflection, as an image of God's work. That's what I'm hoping for. Now, why? Like, what's the point of this? Is it just so we can see these cool connections and feel something? No. Uh, there's a reason for it. And the reason is point number two. Point number two is it's because creation can transform our work. Okay, creation can transform our work. When you see that your work images God, this makes your work matter. It makes your work matter because you are actually an image of God. Like what you do, the work that you do images God. People could look at you, if they had eyes to see and understand these concepts, they could look at you and they could learn about God because of the work that you do. 
Think about that. I think that understanding this also sort of connects you to something eternal. When you realize that your work reflects God, all of a sudden your work means something because it's now a reflection of God who is eternal. It's a reflection. Our mundane work becomes an expression of what this eternal God is doing in the world. I had this experience, and I've, I've heard people tell a similar story, and I couldn't believe it when this happened to me. I was in a factory in El Cajon. Okay, I was going on a tour of this factory, and what I'm about to tell you happened, and I couldn't believe it. I was like, there's no way that just hit. No one's going to believe me that this really happened because this sounds too much like a story that you make up, but this actually happened. Um, I asked somebody, hey, what are you doing? There was this group of people doing things. I mean, there were actually three of them, and each person gave me three different answers. The first person said, well, I'm gluing wood together. I said, okay, well then, and then another person sort of jumped in real quick and said, well, see, actually what we're doing is here is we're attaching this strip of wood to increase the surface area to connect this piece with that one. And then this third person, I mean, I'm not kidding, this actually happened. This third person says, well, no, actually, we're making Taylor guitars. And if I don't attach this strip of wood around the insides of the body, then the glue won't have enough surface area in contact with the back. And the pressure from the guitar strings will cause the back then to pop off. You know, when we can connect our work with God, it gives us that greater sense that what we're doing is significant. It's powerful. I mean, it'd be cool if there was a fourth person that said, you know what, God loves music. And we're filling the world with instruments that make... We have crea- we're creating stuff that wiggles the air in ways that makes people happy. <laughs> That's what sound is, just wiggling the air. You've got bones in your ears that we're tapping into with, with these things. I mean, like that's the thing, right? And God loves music, and so we're filling the world with stuff that can make things that please God. When you can make that connection with your work, with your company... It changes everything. It actually makes you a better employee, right? Because you become wiser about the purpose of your work. You become wiser about what you're doing. You understand the big picture. You can make better decisions because now you're making decisions that are in line with this bigger purpose. So your decisions actually are better for the company. And so what this does is that it helps you understand your boss's job better because you get the big picture. You know how what you're doing fits in. It also helps you understand your boss's boss's job. Okay, and so you become more effective when your job enables your boss to succeed, right? You become a better employee. You become more respected. Your, your boss values you more. You have a better shot, frankly, at getting promoted. So I think this actually makes you a better employee. And I think it also may change how you view your company. Because you might actually realize, wow, you know what? What we're doing is... I mean, this this isn't to say we'll talk about, you know, the dark side of this. Um, you know, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, this may change your whole perspective on your company and how you feel about it. I think the the last piece of this is that your work actually teaches you about God, okay? You can know him better. You can relate to him personally because he does what you do. Okay? He does what you do. And you can go to him because you do what he does. 
right? So at the end of an incredibly frustrating day, you know, like I imagine I've gone to God and said, God, ah, oh, like this is what happened. And I just imagine God going, I know, tell me about it. <laughs> I know, it's hard, you know. It's tough dealing with people. It's tough dealing in a world where there's people that are at odds, there are people that don't want to do the right thing. It's hard dealing with human beings. You know, trust me, I know, I have to deal with a lot of them. You know, and it's like, you just have this, it, it invites you to connect with God. Um, there's a great, great quote um, I don't know how many of you have seen the movie Sabrina, the old one with Humphrey Bogart. He's playing this character, Linus Larrabee, who's this sort of straight-laced, no-nonsense business executive. And his brother's kind of a footloose guy. He doesn't take anything seriously. And, uh, and, he, and the, the two of them are talking. And Humphrey Bogart's character, Linus, says this about developing a new product line. He says, a new product has been found, something of use to the world. And so when the new industry moves into an undeveloped area, factories go up, machines are brought in, a harbor is dug, and you're in business. And then he turns sarcastic and he says, and it's purely coincidental, of course, that people who never saw a dime before suddenly have a dollar. That barefooted kids wear shoes and have their teeth fixed and their faces washed. What's wrong with the kind of urge that gives people libraries, hospitals, baseball diamonds, and movies on a Saturday night? you thought about your work that way? I mean, this tells us that your work actually can reflect God's intention for the city. You can see God's heart for the city through the, the product or the service that your company provides. Qualcomm helps people communicate because God's into healthy communication, right? Now, you can use cell phones for all kinds of evil purposes, and maybe they don't promote healthy communication, but, I mean, the point is that Qualcomm can reflect that. Education teaches people because God wants people to have an education. The Union Tribune distributes information so people aren't ignorant. Right? These are ways that reflect God's heart. And I think, too, that this means your work, it matters to others. Like, I've had the experience where you talk to somebody about what they do, and I've, I've explained to people how what they do actually images the God I believe in. And even non-Christians kind of get a kick out of that. They go, oh, that's interesting. Especially when I relate it to, you know, I'm excited about what you're doing because I think your work is having this impact on our city. Most people want a healthy city, right? And so when you make that, it, it builds bridges. It helps other people to have that vision. Even non-Christians get encouraged to think that their work is a reflection of God or the beginning of, you know, a healthier city. And so I think our work, if work is what we do with most of our lives, wouldn't it be great if your work was community service? You know, we all have this feeling like we know we need to be giving back to the city. We know we need to be giving to the poor. We know to be giving to folks that need help, and we do. But maybe a lot of us are actually engaged in that activity through our work. John Schneider wrote a book called The Good of Affluence, and he said this, in terms of vocation, your primary focus for community service will be on the people and the problems that arise in your work. So he said attorneys serve their clients. Teachers serve their students and the learning process. Business executives serve their companies, their employees, their shareholders, and all of these people are serving the community. They're all creating jobs. They're all creating life. They're all creating health in the city. 
And so I think we can see our work as a form of community service. And then I think what sometimes gets even more exciting than this is that I think our work also then can point to the future world. Not just health for today, but I think legitimate jobs, legitimate companies point to what God is going to do with the whole universe in the new heavens and earth. Okay, and that brings us to our third point. The third point is that Jesus' victory creates heaven on earth. Jesus' victory creates heaven on earth. I mean, there's obviously, there's a big problem, right? Because who works like this? Who thinks about work like this? Right? Maybe you've tried, but then you get to work. I mean, we talked about the ruts and the, the frustrations and even the, the corporate sins and the industry things that prevent us from trying to live for God's glory in our work, to trying to reflect and image God. I mean, it is hard, right? And maybe everything that I've said up to this point, you feel like this is just absolutely Pollyanna. Like, there's no real hope for this, right? This is way too idyllic. This is not realistic at all, so why even try? Um, well, I mean, to that I'd say that we can't do this on our own. Okay, you can't do this on your own. You need help. Okay, and you get help from two places. The first place you get help from is from Jesus Christ. You get help from Jesus. The key to living in this reality is to understand the victory of Jesus in the resurrection. Okay? There was a movie, if any of you saw it, the movie 300 some years ago. It was, um, it was a movie about the Battle of Thermopylae where you had several hundred Spartans from Greece who stood in this narrow mountain pass and held off over two million Persian troops for three days. Okay? They, gave, they all gave their lives. They all died for it. But those three days gave both time and and inspiration for the Greek armies to mass together and actually defeat the, this incredible Persian force. Okay? That was the story. What the movie doesn't tell you is what happened to Greece as a result of the victory. Okay? Stephen Pressfield has written a book called Gates of Fire that actually talk about the aftermath of the war. And this is what he said. He said, Ruined cities rose again. With astonishing speed, the walls and the port were rebuilt. The building of commerce, the courts, the houses and shops and markets and factories came alive again. Trade boomed. The treasure and commerce of the world flooded into Athens. Yet as massive as this economic growth was, it paled in comparison to the effects of victory upon individuals. Optimism and enterprise fired each man. Commoners thrust themselves forward with vigor and confidence. The hand of heaven, it seemed, had set itself in benediction upon each man's shoulder, banishing all timidity and hesitation. Overnight, the Greeks had sieged the stage of destiny. They had defeated the mightiest army and navy in history. What lesser undertaking could now stop them? What enterprise could they not accomplish? And in this flush of triumph, the arts exploded. Theater and chorus flourished. The Greeks were sure that this would endure forever. This victory in battle 
inspired this nation of people, this collection of city-states to absolutely (laughs) redeem, to resurrect the whole world, to bring not just not just to rebuild what was old, but to overplus what they had. To see, I mean, this is an amazing picture of how this victory of the most formidable enemy sparks new life, new hope, and it gives a new world. This is exactly what happens in the victory of Jesus. This is exactly what happens in the resurrection, Jesus has achieved the victory of the creator God over the forces that were destroying the workplace. The greed, the selfishness, the egos, the gossip, the bitterness, the, um, the, the mundanity, the, the, the inability to, to, to get along. I mean, the productivity issue. I mean, all the stuff that plagues work, all of the sins that keep work from being this amazing, glorious picture that we see in Genesis 1. All the things that work against that, all the things that are part of the kingdom of Adam that we talked about two weeks ago, all of that, Jesus went toe-to-toe with that formidable two million-plus force. And in his resurrection, he overcame. He took the sin on himself in his death. And then he comes bursting forth from the grave in new life, in resurrection. And what he does is he produces a new creation. He produces a new creation. And what's amazing is that whenever the church has been gripped by the gospel, whenever the church has been gripped by this vision for what Jesus has done and the victory over sin and suffering and all the places where that sin arises, when the church gets gripped with that, it's amazing because new sparks of life come. There's new vigor in the church. There's new vigor in the workplace. The arts actually do flourish in the exact same way that was described um, after the Battle of Thermopylae. And what's amazing is that this victory intimately affects everyone who believes. Jesus' resurrection, it's like, it's like the ceremonial groundbreaking. You know, when you, you start a new project, you know, and you have the ribbon cutting and the first shovel full of dirt, right? That basically is a pledge that you're going to complete this work. It's going to come to a conclusion and you're going to have this grand and glorious structure by the end of the, by the, end of the construction process. Jesus' resurrection is that first shovel full of dirt. And what's amazing is that when you believe in him, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone believes in Christ, he or she is new creation. New creation. So you begin to be now what you will be in that new heavens and earth. Perfection begins to work its way into your life. Okay, you never live a perfect life, but all of a sudden the power of Jesus to overcome the sin and the wretchedness that destroys the workplace fills you. It fills you. And so you then become an agent. This is where your power comes from to create heaven on earth. It's because Jesus is creating a new heaven and earth. And he's bringing that new creation into your heart. And when you go into the workplace, you bring the love of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the wisdom of Jesus, the mindset of Jesus, that your work 
is actually imaging God. You are creating an image of the creator God. You are creating heaven on earth. Hallelujah. I mean, do you understand this? I mean, if you're struggling because work isn't these things, then I beg you, trust in Jesus. And if it's the first time, come and trust him. Believe in him. If it's the 50th time, the 100th time, come again for this. Believe Jesus for this reality. And you'll see it begin to take place in your life. And so we need Jesus. And then just real quickly, we need each other. We need each other because we forget this. We leak. You need to discuss this stuff in your community groups. You need to join with this faith and work group. I mean, our whole faith and work ministry, Michelle Corbett and Denise Yan have put together this ministry that's designed to help this become more and more of a reality for you. And so join up with the faith and work groups. Jump into that. Discuss. Think it through. And beg God to help you to know how to implement these truths. But when you grasp this victory and begin to experience it, this is what transforms the workplace. This is what transforms the city because it transforms individuals. Let's pray. Father, you are, you are good to us. That you would image yourself in us. That you would call us to look like you and to look like you in our work. Father, this gives us joy. It makes us happy. And it gives us hope. Um, Father, I know that so many of us feel so far from this. We feel like there's this huge gulf, this huge chasm that stands between us and making this a reality. So will you please show us small ways that this can become a reality? Give us that hope and that confidence because we've seen you begin to do this in us. We need you, God, and we need each other. Help us to, to join together, to talk about this with each other so that we can help each other work this out in our lives. And we pray, God, that the Son of righteousness, that Jesus himself would rise higher and higher over San Diego and that you would use us to bring that sunrise through the things that we do by the power of your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.